Thank you. If you need a Bible this morning, if you'd hold up your hand, the ushers are passing them out. Just keep your hand on up there. When you get it, turn to James chapter 1. That's where we're going to be hanging out this morning. So anybody need a Bible? Hold them up there. Okay, going once right there. I saw another hand. All right. Well, welcome again to Sierra Bible Church. Pastor Jesse is out of town this weekend speaking at a, a further northern California men's retreat of three churches coming together for the retreat. I asked uh, Allie if she had heard from him, and she said, I mean, isn't it it's so great there's places on the planet like this. There's no reception where he's at for th- all three days. No Wi-Fi, no connections. Isn't that great? You know, tonight in our Prothumia study, I'm going to be talking about solitude and just how hard it is in this day and age to get away from the noisemakers that uh, are such a big part of our life. But Jesse will be back next Sunday, but we're going to continue on in James this morning. But before we jump into God's Word, uh, there's some Awana young people that want to say thank you to this church for helping them go to Awana camp. Hi, um, if I haven't met you, my name is Ruth Fleischner, and because of the generosity of the church, um, five of us have had the opportunity to go to West Coast Honor Camp, um, and it is through a scholarship program called Awana, where you learn scripture and you read um, half of the Bible, essentially, when you've completed the whole program. Um, but for the past three years, I've had the privilege of going um, because of the generosity of the church, not just financially, but spiritually, just by praying for us. If, even if you can't donate, that is just such a huge gift. Um, so thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, hi, my name is Christian. Um, this year at camp, the Lord challenged me um, in doing hard things, and um, we had to go on a mission trip to Reading and um, talk to people, which is really hard for me, and um, it was really uncomfortable, and the Lord challenged me every day, even as I talk to you right now, so thank you. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Trenholm, and this year was my first year going to camp. And um, I had a lot of fun, and I just want to thank you for spending your time and money on and helping us go to camp. And I had a lot of fun, and I thought it was just amazing being around all those Christians and making a lot of friends. Thank you. Hi, my name is Kate Cuneo, and this is my third year going to camp, and every year is just amazing, and I want to thank you guys for supporting us so that we can go to camp, and what really stuck out to me at camp was that we got to give it all to God. We can't hide that one thing, so thanks. I just want to thank you all for helping me go to Awana camp because I just had an utter an utter blast. It was, an, I had an amazing time. And thank you for letting me experience the joy of it all. And on Wednesday night in chapel, um, God spoke to me for the first time and said, exhale, exhale the past and inhale the future. 
all of you probably don't know, um, I came here last summer because my aunt and uncle had gotten custody of me because my mom um, was unable to take care of me. And I just learned so much. Thank you all. From time to time, we have these burrito feeds and whatnot to raise extra funds. This is where it goes. This is where it goes. And lives are changed. And you have a part in it. And I was just thinking this morning when they were up here, uh, 20-some years ago, there was a young man that stood up here and asked if we would help him go to uh, Horizon School of Evangelism. Uh, He's now your senior pastor. And so we never know what God is going to do in and through these kids that we're investing in. They're worth the investment. And uh, it's great to hear those kinds of testimonies of what God is doing in these lives. Isn't that great? One more announcement I'd like to make, and since I've got the floor, I'll go ahead and make it. Uh, Trailblazers. Everybody in the church, 55 and over. Any of those here today? Okay, this Friday night we're going to have a, our first gathering of the Trailblazers for the fall of 2018, and I have a dear friend that's been a dear friend of this ministry, and not only me over the years, Dr. John Edmund Haggai of the Haggai Institute. Um, he has spoken in this pulpit, he came and did a men's retreat for us many years ago, and while Sandy and I were on our sabbatical We enjoyed lunch with him in his office in Atlanta, Georgia, and Dr. John is a spry 94 years young now, and him and his wife just celebrated their 73rd anniversary. At 94, he goes to the office every day, and he drives himself there, and he got out his driver's license just to show us that there were no restrictions on it, that he had not even glasses at 94. And John, over the years, he's one of the most incredible men. He's the only man from the Western world that has been hosted over a dozen times in the Hall of the People in Beijing, China. He's traveled the world. He's circled the globe over a hundred times. And every time I've ever met with John, he was just going to meet with some head of state or he just met with some head of state before he sat down and met with this ham and egg preacher from Truckee, California. And... John's not doing as much traveling as he used to at 94. He's trying to be a better steward of his time. So he does a lot of recording in his studio that's at his office. And so we are going to get the recorded John Haggai this Friday night at 6.30. And he's going to be speaking on the subject of aging with grace. And he's also going to be bringing a personal greeting to you, the Sierra Bible Church Trailblazers. So I want to invite you Friday night, not Thursday. I know we've always met on Thursday, but I wanted these screens, and this uh, room is taken up on Thursday night. So we'll meet in here at 6.30, and then we're going to do the only kind of retirement we're talking about. We're going to retire to Ray Hall for some refreshments. We'll accept retirement in that manner. And when you hear Dr. Haggai speak, you'll understand what I'm talking about. So come on out and join us for time of fellowship, a time to be challenged by um, 
one of God's... When, when Dr. Haggai came here in 1998, I got a phone call from Focus on the Family. And they said, how did you get him? They said, we, Dr. Dobson has asked him a dozen times to come and be on the program, and he's turned him down every time. And the reason was is because the ministry of the Haggai Institute has been kind of a below-the-radar ministry. It's a ministry that doesn't ask for funds. It's a ministry that disciples upper echelon Christian leaders around the world, and some of them in very dangerous countries. And I guess he felt safe at Sierra Bible Church. Because Sierra Bible Church at that time was only about 150 people. And uh, Paul Harvey, years ago, did one of his... um, the rest of the story broadcasts on Dr. Haggai and just about that. And so an incredible man. I invite you to visit his website and then come and hear the heart of a man whose heart beats for the Great Commission. And he's one of those guys, he's going to die in the harness. There will be no quit in him until Jesus calls him home. Let's have a word of prayer. And uh, one thing I want to do this morning, you know, Jesse preached a few weeks ago out of James 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. We are very aware in the office at Sierra Bible Church that there are people in this church going through deep waters. Some spiritually, some physically. Um, Family members in and out of the hospital. People praying for children who are wayward. People praying for the disappointments of business and 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 yet and i know you you have no idea how hard it is to stand up here as a pastor and say whatever the trial is you're going through today count it all joy count it all joy and we're not talking about some giddy kind of joy we're talking about a joy that comes from the confidence of knowing that our god is in control And that when we count it joy, when we meet various kinds of trials, that testing of our faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And then that steadfastness has an effect, which is that God matures us. He makes us complete and perfect and lacking in nothing. And before we jump into the Word today, I just want to pray a prayer over those of you in this place that are in the crucible right now. But I want you to know that when you look into that crucible with the eye of faith, there's another person in the fire with you. Nebuchadnezzar looked into a fiery furnace one day and he had thrown three men in, but it was four men walking around. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of that fiery furnace, not only not singed, but without the smell of smoke upon them. And I just want to say to you who are walking in the crucible right now, there's a fourth man in the fire. And he's walking with you. Take heart. He's promised never to leave you and never to forsake you. And so, Father in heaven, by the mere fact that we were born into the human race. We all know trials and testings, mountaintops and valleys, 
joys and disappointments, confidence and fear. And though, Lord, my vision is limited to surface only, you are the one that looks under the skin, into our hearts and into our minds. And the fact of the matter is, is in this room today, there are many who are walking on the mountaintop and enjoying life and its blessings, and things couldn't be better at this point. But the other fact of the matter is, there's some brothers and sisters in here going through the valley. The valley of testing. The valley of trial. The valley of doubt and fear. I think so much of Christian and Pilgrim's progress making his journey to the celestial city and the various paths that he trod and the various threats that he experienced along the way and yet as he stayed on the path that was lit by the light of the sun he was delivered safely through it all. And so for my brothers and sisters this morning I do pray especially those who are going through a time of testing that they would grab a hold of the hem of the garment of the one who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and they would know that he is the one whose promise is sure when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Let us stand in that trust, dear God, that we may go through the crucible time as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel in the lion's den, or Paul and Peter and the, the trials and tempt, temptations and, and tribulations that they faced. And whether it be something going on in our lives personally or in the lives of our children or our grandchildren, or a dear friend, or a dear neighbor. We knit our heart together, our hearts together as one this morning in the name of Jesus and ask for strength to stand and faith to know the sun will shine again. And those of us who are on the mountaintop at this time, may we be sure that we're praying for our brothers and sisters in the valley because as long as we're exchanging air, (laughs) there will be a valley ahead for us too. We cast ourselves upon your grace and your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me as we read from James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass as its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Some of your translations say lust. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And the sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. A couple comments I want to make before I get into the, the true body of my message today, but they come from this passage. One of the things that happened in the early church was that the Spirit of God began to span barriers within culture that had never been spanned before. And those were barriers of class distinction. In the early church, found worshiping together were Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor, slave and master, aristocrat, and commoner. And my brothers and sisters, I say that to say this, that in this room, in this room on Sunday morning, this is where all distinctions of class and race must die. Here, we are the family of God in Christ. In the truest sense of the word, brothers and sisters of Jesus and of one another. And one thing you're going to find the longer you walk with God is the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And the invitation is to whosoever will may come. The Apostle Paul wrote, if I turn on my trigger here. There we go. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put your faith in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In regards to our salvation, we are one in Christ. And none of us have been saved on the basis of anything else other than we came as needy ones needing the salvation that was in Christ alone. And as it was then, it should be now. And that very first verse, what it brings to my mind, it is in the church, it is in the church that the poor man, the common man, finds a new sense of his own value. Because here, not only is he reminded that he's created in the image of God, here he's reminded that he is equal to everyone in the room, no matter what his standing or station is in life. Here it is where he learns that he matters to God and that he matters to his brothers and sisters in Christ as they endeavor to treat one another as more important than themselves. Here, he finds that God has a plan for him and a purpose for every man and every woman who has surrendered their life to Christ in spite of the social status that he knows outside of this room. On the other hand, it is in the church that the rich man finds 
a new sense of self-abasement or a new sense of humility. For here, he is no longer accepted on the basis of his status or the size of his bank account. It is here, in this place, that he cannot buy his way. And just like the poor man, the rich man will one day stand before his maker, clothed in the same garment in which the poor man will be clothed. The righteousness of Christ alone. The Apostle Paul reminded us in his writing to Timothy, we brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out of it. I believe it was Billy Graham that said he had never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. <laughs> Upon the death of Howard Hughes in April of 1976, the late Paul Harvey asked my friend John Edmund Haggai, do you know how much he left behind? And John says, yes, I do. He left all of it. He left all of it. My friends, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And it's in this room, in this place, that all distinctions disappear because we're all children of God in Christ saved by grace alone. And let us never, ever forget that. This must be the most welcoming place on the planet because here we are truly equal. Again, verse 12 harkens back to verses 2 through 4. Pastor Jesse did such a wonderful job of that. That'll be, that's the first message that he preached out of this book. So you can find that on our website if you care to listen to it. But one thing I want to show, it says, Blessed is the one who remains steadfast in the trial. There's a lot of words we can use here. Persevere, overcome. But again, we do not stand in our own strength, in our own steadfastness, and we do not overcome in our own strength. We overcome in that which he provides. Where I'd like to spend the majority of my time this morning, beginning with verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Hang on here. But each person, are there any individuals here today? Not a one. We just just this big blob. <laughs> but each person. You too, Marlo. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. From the beginning of time, it has been man's instinct. To blame others for his sin. After eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, God required an accounting of Adam and Eve. And here's what he got in return. And Adam said, the woman who you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. I mean, 
Look at out of the gate. First of all, he's blaming God. I would have been just fine if you hadn't given me the woman. So first of all, it's God's fault. Second of all, it's the woman's fault. So God turns to Eve and says, Hey, what's happening? And what'd she say? The serpent made me do it. Comedian Flip Wilson, back in the late 60s and early 70s, coined a phrase, the serpent made me do it. Well, it was really the devil made me do it. But we've been, if it wasn't for Josh, I'd have been okay, right? But what James is saying in this passage pulls the rug of excuse out from under our feet. He says, each person, are you going to join me today? Each person is tempted when he is lured, there's a good fishing term, and enticed by his own desire, and I put in parentheses, his own uncurbed lust. His own uncurbed appetites. J.B. Phillips in his translation says, a man's temptation is due to the pull of his own inward desires, which greatly attract him. Yeah, I can feel it. Yeah, the thought is, he's going to go from preaching to meddling here really quick. But that's what the Word says. That's what the Word says. Now, every single one of us in this room are subjects of temptation. Simply because you're part of the human race. And every temptation that you're going to face fits within one of three categories. And the Apostle Paul wrote about, or First John, the Apostle John wrote about it. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a whole sermon in itself, but we'll just keep on going here. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And what I want to tell you is every temptation you are ever going to face in your time on planet Earth falls under one of these categories. And it looks like this. The lust of the flesh. If it feels good... Do it. Any of that going on in our world today? If it feels good, do it. The lust of the eyes. Oh, I gotta have one of those. <laughs> yeah, the, the newer, the bigger, the better, the faster, the shinier. Come on. You're with friends today. It's okay. Gotta have one of those. I'm just gonna die if I can't have one of those. And then... The boastful pride of life. Hey, everybody, do you see me? And Pastor Jesse, in some of his recent messages, has, I've wanted to jump up and down and shout hallelujah, but I thought, you know, somebody think it's a Pentecostal meeting and we'd all have a Jericho march or something. But when, he, when he's been talking about social media, that's what social media is all about. Do you see me? It's the boastful pride of life. Me, mine. Every single temptation in life is either, if it feels good, do it. i got to have one of those. Do you 
see me. Now, though Satan may have started the temptation ball rolling, man's own fallen nature is a great help in keeping it rolling. And no doubt Satan and his minions will do everything possible to pour gasoline on the lustful fires that are in us all. I want you to know this. He has no power to make us sin. Are you with me? The devil has no power to make a sin. But Doc, you know, he's like a good fisherman. He's got a tackle box full of lures. He baits it up and throws it across in there in front of John. And maybe John just lets two or three lures go by. He says, I know I got something in here that's going to work. And he just keeps going back to that tackle box until John bites. He goes, ah, all right. Let's see here. Oh, Ray back there. (whistles) Plop. That's all he does. That's all the power that he has is to drag the lure across in front of us in the guise of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. My brothers and sisters, I want you to know we can overcome temptation in this life. But we can't overcome it on our own. We have to overcome it in the power of the Spirit who lives within us. The same Holy Spirit that lived inside of Jesus. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you if you are a blood-bought, blood-washed, saved-by-grace child of the living God. The Apostle Paul wrote this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Stop. Don't read any further. Stop. Whoa. How many temptations? None. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, you may think, I'm going through something nobody's ever gone before. Wrong. Again, Satan only has so many lures in his tackle box. He's got 10,000 years of history of dragging them in front of human race. So he has a pretty good idea who will bite on what. But he throws nothing against you that he doesn't throw against me or vice versa. You're not the lone ranger that somehow you've been picked out and you've been set aside from the crowd for a special temptation. No. All of your brothers and sisters in Christ are going through it as well. And then he goes on, he says, oh, here's the great part. Here's the promise. God's faithful. Can we say hallelujah? Oh, man. Hallelujah. There, thank you. Gee. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What's this saying in the vernacular? The temptations of this world... God will never allow you to be painted into a corner by temptation without a way of escape. 
You know, you see the cartoons around TV where some guy's painting a floor in a house and all of a sudden he's in a corner and there's no doors and there's no windows and now he's stuck. He's either going to have to bore a new hole in the wall or wait till the paint dries. God will never allow temptation to take you that far. He will never paint you into a corner that does not have a trap door. The problem is, is we've got to want it and we've got to search for it before we succumb to it. You see, what happens is the temptation starts and we start entertaining it rather than grabbing it by the throat and dragging it to the cross. We entertain it, then we entertain it a little bit more and then we entertain it a little bit more. And pretty soon, we are in the corner and there's no escape. But God didn't put you there because he said there's not a temptation on the planet that has that kind of power if you'll look for the escape on the way. Over 20 years ago, there was a man in this church who had a little problem with gambling. In fact, it cost him his house here in Truckee. He was fine as long as he didn't have a fresh paycheck. Think about that. So he was good for about 12 days at a time. But when that fresh paycheck came, you know that great big tower at John Esquaga's Nugget? He helped pay for that. I'd get a call from his wife. Yeah, think about that. It'll come to you. His wife would call me and said she hadn't seen him for a day or two. And usually his binges would last about 48 hours until he was out of money. More than once, I got my car and drove to the Nugget, walked the casino floor, and found him exercising his arm. He was the type of guy that he could have won $10,000 and not left there with it, it would all have gone back into the machine. And when he stuck his last quarter down the slot, he drug his sorry carcass home to his wife. Usually ended up in my office. And in that moment, remorseful to remorseful, it all been blown, it all been spent. Some men in this church graciously surrounded him and said, Brother, we want to see you free from this. We are here for you. When that temptation begins, give us a call. And there, was, there must have been a half a dozen brothers that made this. Give us a call. We'll go get a cup of coffee. We'll go for a hike. We'll, we'll do something until the temptation wanes. And you know what? That was the way of escape that God had provided for this man. And yet, he never availed himself to the way of escape. I remember saying to him one day, you know, there's only about 100 places to turn around between here and the nugget. There's a lot of off-ramps before Rock Boulevard. 
But God isn't going to reach through the window of your car and turn the wheel for you. You're going to have to turn it. And he'll get you back home. And sadly, he lost his house here in Truckee. And his wife moved from the area. I always remember that. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to bear that temptation. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, the problem is, is we come to a place we don't want to escape. We make a choice not to escape. Are you with me? This is God's promise for us. First of all, he said, most of the temptations we face, they're lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. They're part of the warp and woof of the fabric of our heart, and that's where the enemy hits us. It's when we are enticed and carried away by our own sinful desires. But God says, hey! But you don't have to go there. I have provided a way of escape. I am faithful. And then, boy, there's some great... I could preach for a week on this verse. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, how did Jesse get ten weeks of preaching out of, uh, out of Jonah? Ah, how did that happen? I said, well, here's a couple of verses I could preach for a month on. No problem. But look at verse 15. Well, first of all, it says, each man is tempted when he's lured. I love that word, good fishing word. And enticed by his own desires. Then desire when it has conceived. Do you see what's happening here? There's conception, and then there's birth, and then there's growth. Don't don't let this be lost on you. And take take it home and look at it. Desire conceived gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. You see the progression here? The conception, the birth, and the death. Paul wrote to the Romans, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Now, I'm going to grant it to you that when we read this, most of us see this, the wages of sin is death, that eternal separation from God, hell, so to speak. But the free gift of God is eternal life. So, and, and I have no problem with that, but I want to take it a little bit deeper with you this morning. We need to understand that even as Christians, we do not sin with impunity. Sin surrendered to always results in a degree of death in our spirit. Let me say this. I believe with all my heart the day I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ that he forgave me of my sin. My sins of yesterday, my sins of today, and my sins of tomorrow. I believe in that moment my name was written in the Lamb's book of life and there was a place prepared in heaven seated next to Christ for me. I believe that. But then I was left here on planet Earth and in my Christian growth still get to desire, still get to, de- to uh, 
experience the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And I want you to know there's some days I win, and there's some days I don't win. There's a difference in me because there was a day I could have cared less whether I, I offended God by my life and my actions. Today I care very much. And when I do blow it, my heart breaks and I can't wait to get into his presence and lay it at his feet. But there are times that the temptation comes along that I do not run and take the help that is there for me and fall. And in that moment, something in my spirit dies just a little bit. You know, it's, it's the one thing about Grace truly received in the heart, it will never produce, ha-ha, now what can I get away with? It's all been forgiven, hot dog. God loves to forgive sin. I love to sin. What a great arrangement. Now I'll tell you what, when grace breaks on your heart, you'll have a desire to stay as far away from the sin as possible. There will be a new desire. There will be new longings. But it's, again, we, we, we're not quite there yet. We're not in that sinless perfection phase, are we? So when I choose that, something in me dies just a little bit. And I know it. I do not sin with impunity. And C.S. Lewis said something that uh, you can take this with you and read it later, but it is so powerful. Uh, This is pretty small up here. It's in your study guide. He said, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all of your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish one either into a creature that is in harmony with God and others and with oneself, or else into one that's in a state of war and hatred with God, others, and oneself. To be one kind of creature is heaven. That is to know joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and loneliness. Each of us at this moment is progressing to one state or the other. What a powerful statement. My brothers and sisters, our choices matter. And temptation is not only the coercion to do wrong things, but it's also the coercion not to do the right things. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him that is sin. Sin isn't just not doing the bad things. Sin is also not doing the right things. So, when in the throes of temptation, anybody ever been there? Some of you are in it right now, this morning. Some of you came to church this morning and you're in a wrestling match in one of these areas in your life. so the question would be, when in the throes of temptation, where do I run 
for help. Well, James says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Over the years, I've heard evangelists and pastors misquote this thing, and I want to scream when they misquote it. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah, you you just get right out there and do it in your own strength. The book of Acts tells us about seven sons of one named Sceva who was watching Paul practice uh, deliverance from demons. And they ran into a demon-possessed man and they said, we adjure you in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches to come out. And the demon looked at him and says, Jesus, I know. I know Paul too. Who are you? And the demon-possessed man jumped on him and just whipped the snot out of them, ripped their clothes off of them, and they ran down the road naked and bruised and broken. And that happens to anybody that tries to resist the devil in their own strength. The key here is submit yourself to God. Bring yourself lock, stock, and barrel, spirit, soul, and body, and surrender unto him. And then you resist the devil. How? In the strength that he provides. And then what does he say? He says he will flee the devil, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And so I ask this now. And what do we find when we draw near to God? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. This is one of the most incredible passages of Scripture in all of the New Testament. It is a reminder for any of us in this room today who are being tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. How many of you were in here when Aaron made her Bethlehem announcement today? What happened at Christmas time? Boy, you better all be here for night in Bethlehem, and we'll tell you. (laughs) What happened at Christmas time? Jesus was born. Was he like any other baby, Marlies? Why? Oh, really? In that little manger in Bethlehem, the baby that came into that manger was not only fully human, he was fully divine. He was the Son of God. God put on human flesh that Christmas day and came to dwell among us and then live among us and to grow up among us and to minister among us and to be tempted in every way we'll ever be tempted, but he did it perfectly. Therefore, he was able to lay down that perfect life 
for the likes of you and me who haven't been able to live the perfect life. Let's go on. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are tempted. I want you to stop here and give this some thought. Have you ever just stopped to think that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth, was tempted with every single temptation that you and I have ever been or ever will be tempted with? Under the categories of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride. I know the technology's different, okay? But it's still lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Messiah, was tempted in every regard that we have been tempted. And he's without sin. He did it perfectly. That's why when we, the imperfect ones, come to his throne, he sympathizes with us. Don't think that temptations came to Jesus and he went, He went to the mat with temptation. With the last great one being, Lord, if there be another way, let's do it. He went through the throes with the devil. And yet he came forth victorious. So, so when I'm being tempted and I, and I come to him, I submit myself to God, I resist the devil in his strength, and I draw near to God, I come to one who understands. He goes, what a loser you are. You just keep, no, 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 no. He says, come on in. I know. I know. I know. And then he goes on. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of, let's say it loud, that's a beautiful word, grace, that we might what? Receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. But my brothers and sisters, there's no help for you at the throne if you don't go to the throne. There's no help for you at the throne if you don't go to the throne. But when you go to the throne, you know, years and years and years, here's what I got from God. I just figured he was mad at me. I was raised in a Christian home. It was pretty legalistic. My mother, bless her heart, she's in heaven today, but Boy, her favorite phrase to me was, would Jesus have done that? And I go, why do we have to bring him into this? <laughs> but you know what it did? It made me not even want to be close to where Jesus was. And when I was, I saw a furrowed brow, and in his right hand was a Wayne Whacker. <laughs> and if I got close enough... Wayne was going to get whacked. And that was my view of God. 
I had no idea that he sympathized with what I was going through and that he had paid the price for me to come. And when that broke onto my heart, that truth came into my life. I was able to draw near. I was able to climb up into his lap and feel Papa's arms around me and lay my head against his breast. And there wasn't a Wayne Whacker in sight. Because he had sympathy for my weaknesses. And he says that if I would come, I would find mercy. And I would find grace. And I would find help in my time of need. Jesus, too, faced the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, tempted in every way that we'll ever be tempted. And now he says, when you are, bring it to me. I'm a little limited in my vision. I can only see skin surface. I can't see a heart. I can't see a mind. I can't see a soul. But I know that in a room this size with this many people, there are some of you here today that are going to the mat with some temptation. It may be the lust of the flesh that's eating your lunch. It may be the lust of the eyes and your, your headlong, almost aimless pursuit into obtaining and procuring. It may be the need to be seen and the people around you aren't seeing you. <laughs> I don't know, but I can tell you this. Whatever temptation you're going through, they, they fall under one of those headings. And I'm here to tell you today, there's victory. There's victory. There's victory. For God says, I am faithful. And though he allows temptation to come into our life, he does not allow it to come in a way that is empowered to paint us into the corner. There is a way of escape. And your way of escape today may just be a confession of sin. It may be forgiveness of somebody. Maybe there is somebody that has wronged you and you need to forgive them. And boy, the temptation is not to. I was reading this week from my beloved Oswald. He says, if you come and present your gift at the altar and there while you are praying, remember that a brother has sought against you Leave your offering and go be reconciled and then come again. He didn't say there, if you have something against the brother, if you remember in your heart that someone has something against you, leave your offering and go. Maybe the temptation is not to go (laughs) and not to reconcile. I don't know. You know. But I want you to know. He's here. And he says, if you'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to you.
and there's no Wayne Wacker in his hand. <laughs> because he sympathizes with where you are today. Because he's gone through the same temptation himself. And so he says, come. Come to the one whose arms are open because he understands. Come to the place that you find mercy and you find grace and you find help in your time of need. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, Lord God of grace and mercy and help. This is one of those messages that we all stand in the need of prayer. (laughs) Because we all go through the throes of temptation. And and Father, the fact of the matter is there's some temptations that come my way that I can go out and just flick them like a little flea. Because they don't attract me. They don't entice me. They are... They're just a bother like a gnat flying around my head. But then there's other ones, Lord, because Satan has put the lures on his line more than once. There's other ones, Lord, that can turn my head. There's other ones, Lord, that if I do not run it to you right now and begin to resist in the resisting power of the Spirit who lives within me, I will fall. And one thing that may be a great temptation to me may not affect another person in this room and vice versa. We're also very different. We have such different appetites. But I do know this, that under the headings of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, we're all going to be tried. And there's other people in this room today, dear God, that are on the mountaintop. They've, they've come out of a valley. They've come out of a trial of time of testing and things are good right now and the air is fresh and the sun is bright but there's others who are in the crucible right now and unless they come to you unless you come to them unless they draw to you and you draw near to them they will not be victorious in this time of temptation and so I pray today dear God that in their heart and mind right now, in the quiet of this room, that they would bring it to the throne before the one who sympathizes because he's been in their shoes, before the one who's ready to help and extend mercy and grace. May they come this morning in the name of the one who bore their sins to the cross and now stands ready to strengthen them in the time of temptation, that they may come from this time victorious and strong in the strength of his might. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, friends, let's uh, stand.